What's up, Red Rocks Church? Ooh, I like the energy. It's going to be an awesome weekend. We got beautiful weather all weekend. It will not be awesome, though, if we do not first say hi to everyone at our Arvada campus and our Lakewood campus and, of course, the Littleton campus and the Golden Camp. Oh, man. We already miss you, Golden. Rest in peace. Let's move on. Can we do this at all of our campuses? Can we give the most gracious round of applause to all the men and women at God Behind Bars? We love you guys so much. So much. We believe with all of our hearts that you guys are going to experience God yet again this weekend, and we're grateful that you took time to show up. And so we just want you guys to know how loved you are. If you're visiting with us, you came on an awesome week because we're starting a new series. You're not jumping into something right in the middle of it, a new uh, thought. Uh, it's a new concept, a new idea. We're talking about relationships. And as you've seen, we've titled the, uh, the series um, Once Upon a Time. And even more importantly, the subtitle is this, it's Fairy Tales and Falls. And the reason we put that subtitle in there is because I want to look at a relational spectrum throughout this whole series. And on one end of the spectrum, some of us come in here or at any of our campuses, and we find ourselves right now in whatever kind of relationship, whether it's marriage or dating or friendship, and you would say, man, I feel like I'm in a fairy tale right now. Okay, and I just want to salute you. For those of you who say like you're on the far end and right now like you're in a fairy tale scenario, this is called the first month of dating, all right? And I hope you enjoy it. Don't apologize for it. Have fun with the three-hour phone calls. Have fun taking her to more expensive dinners than you can afford. Have fun thinking through every word you're going to say next because it will be short-lived. See, God gives us divinely that season, that fairy tale like season to get us into this thing called marriage so then he can really sanctify our hearts and make us holy, right? All the married people said? Amen. Said, yeah, <laughs> with one tear. Like, we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk. But on the other end of the spectrum, and, and I hate this, but, but this is equally true, there's some people that walk in here at all of our campuses, and you would say right now your relationships, whether it's dating or friendship or even marriage, you'd say it feels more like a fall right now. Like maybe all hell's breaking loose in your marriage. Maybe the D word's being thrown around, something like divorce, or maybe you recently got cheated on. Or if you're dating, maybe you recently got dumped, and they looked at you and said, it's not, it's not you, it's me, which we all know in the English language means it's totally you, right? <laughs> We know that. And you're, you're sitting under the weight of what feels like complete and total relational dysfunction. And you'd say you're on this end of the spectrum. The truth is, though, most of us at all of our campuses, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And the goal of this series is if we really preach the word of God and if we really look inwardly at our hearts and if we look honestly at our relationships, the goal is by the end of this month, all of us move a little bit further on the spectrum towards fairy tale and away from this thing fall. Knowing that we were going to have this series, I've been thinking a lot, and I typically don't, which is probably a good thing, fellas, but I've been thinking a lot about fairy tales. And last Saturday, I had a great reminder because I was at all the Easter services, and I got a picture from my wife of my daughter, Jane, and she's seven, and she had just lost a tooth this last Saturday. And this was a big one. I call it a double blessing tooth, and here's why. It's never happened in our family. It'll probably never happen again. Now, we have four kids, and my wife's from Alabama, so we've had plenty of tooth loss. Don't get me wrong. But I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> I'm so much trouble. She's only lost four, though, so back off. And she doesn't chew tobacco anymore, so we're safe. <laughs> Woo, I'm done. I can hear my wife right now listening to this, being like, you don't want to get in here, I'm like, I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm starting a fight between me and my wife, so I have some stuff to preach from each week. That's what I do right? 
getting some fodder up here. I'm dead. You stop talking, Chad. Now, stop. So I walk in knowing that my daughter had lost a tooth and her and, and my younger son, he's four, his name's Benjamin, and I'm just trying to be fun, Dad, and I'm trying to play it up. And, and, and this tooth is a double blessing loss because it's on the eve of Easter. And so I walk in and I go, Jane, you lost a tooth. Do you know what this means? For the first time in Brugman history, you're not only going to get visited by the tooth fairy, you're going to get visited by the Easter bunny in the same night. I can't believe this, guys. What's going to happen? Are they going to get along? Is she going to share her money with him? Is he going to share his candy with her? Is she going to kick the rabbit? Is he going to bite at her little fairy ankles? Or what's going to go on? And Jane's just looking at me like this. Because all girls for about four decades just are stuck like this. I'm kidding, ladies. I'm kidding. You're awesome. I'm kidding. It's It's true. And I'm in so much trouble today. This is not good. And she just looks at me, and if you got young, young, young kids in here, earmuffs real quick, uh, spoiler alert, okay? She looks at me, and she goes, Dad, the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy aren't real. And I go, I know, but Ben thinks they are, so play along with me. And I kept playing it up, and I kept talking, and I kept creating scenarios. And I looked over at Ben, and his face was like this. He was like, oh. the whole time I'm talking about it, he's like, yeah, I can't believe they're both going to be. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, I want to be four again, Right? I want that childlike faith and innocence that really believes that a a, a bunny with candy and that a woman with money is going to visit them just to give it. Like, I want to be in that fairy tale like mindset again, right? But we're old and we're adults now and we're cynical and life's handed it to us. And and I started thinking about fairy tales and, and why they're timeless. I started thinking about things like Cinderella and Snow White and Beauty and the Beast and Frozen. <laughs> Parents' worst nightmare. Let it go. But I I, seriously, I started thinking to myself, why don't these these timeless fairy tales ever go out of style or out of season? I mean, Cinderella was written in the early 1800s by the Brothers Grimm, right? And we're still making new and updated versions of this timeless story. And then if you really start to think about it, every good fairy tale has a template. There's at least four things you can see in every good fairy tale. One, and the first and most important thing, is someone in that story needs to feel unconditional love. And you know why we resonate with this and that makes a story timeless? is because that is the chief and most fundamental thing. Every one of us in this room and at all of our campuses, this is what we need, right? We know we were created at the core, warts and all, to have a community of people that just love us no matter what, right? This is what makes our relationship with Jesus so important when it comes to relationships. This is why we look at husbands and wives and we say, hey, listen, more importantly than your marriage needs to be your relationship with Jesus. Because on your spouse's best day, listen to me, husbands and wives and future husbands and wives, on your best day, your spouse does not have the capacity, no matter how much they want to, No matter how good their hearts are, no matter how much in love you are, your spouse does not have the ability to love you unconditionally the way Jesus can. Someday, yes, when this is all finished and done. Right now, though, the only person that can give you fully what your human heart needs is this person, Jesus. And this is why in every relationship series, we get up here and we say, please, in your marriage, put Jesus above each other. And I promise you, if you put Jesus above each other, each other's going to work out real good. I promise you. Every fairy tale has in in the template unconditional love. But then secondly, there's always someone in the fairy tale that needs rescuing, right? And we get that because at the core of this story that's not a fairy tale is us being born into this world, recognizing how deeply we need to be rescued, right? And looking for a rescuer. 
And we know who that rescuer is. Again, the rescuer is Jesus. And the problem with so many relationships when they go from a fairy tale to a fall is we give people a bigger place than God. We hope that a marriage is going to rescue us. We hope that the right guy or the right girl is going to rescue us. The right friendship circles are going to rescue us. And listen to me, those are supposed to come and complement the rescuer who is Jesus and Jesus alone, right? And then uh, the third thing is there's always an adversary. At some point, it's dim the lights and cue the music, dun, 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 right? And there's an adversary. And we're willing to sit through the tension of the adversary in these fairy tale stories because we all have this thing called hope. And that's the fourth element that makes fairy tales timeless. And because it's the element in the real story, we all have enough hope that in the midst of an adversary, an evil one who's trying to destroy us, that redemption's going to happen in the midst of difficulty. So we hang on. It's called hope, right? And when you put those four things together, all of a sudden fairy tales work timelessly because they've used the template of the actual story that we're living in. So we're going to go back in this series, for, this, for the whole series, and we're going to camp in the Garden of Eden. And if you're new to this thing, it's going to read today like a fairy tale. You watch, and I'll, I'll set it up in a minute. But can we do this at all campuses before we go any further? Can we stop for a minute, and can we pray? Can we ask God not to just lord over this moment at all of our camps? Can we ask him to be such a sweet part of this whole series that, that we believe marriages are going to have miracles happen? We believe that no matter where you're at on the spectrum of relationships in any form or fashion, that we're going to all in this church move a little closer to the fairy tale and a little further away from the fall. And if that happens, we're ready to go, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless these next few minutes? Would your Holy Spirit's presence pour out in this place? God, we love you and we honor you and we want to do right by you as our creator and as our king and as our Lord and as our savior and as our friend. And so, Jesus, I just pray in these next few minutes that you'd be so honored by what we talk about. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. Would you guide us into all truth? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, it's Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to set it up with what was happening in Genesis 1 and 2. And then we're going to look at Genesis 3, which in your Bibles will, will say this at the heading. It will say the fall. Dun, dun, dun. Right? But prior to the fall, we've got this creator God. In fact, the first characteristic we learn about God is that he's creator. He's creative. And out of that flows a characteristic of his heart, which is this. He's good. He kept speaking and then saying it's good. He kept speaking and then saying it's good. We serve a good God, right? But we're going to look today at how all that got marred and messed up. And he keeps creating and he keeps creating and then eventually he creates Adam and he creates Eve and we've got these beautifully chiseled, perfect, ab-laden people and the Bible says they're naked and feel no shame, which is just mind-boggling to me because about every other morning my wife will be in the room getting dressed and I'm in the bathroom getting ready and she'll just hear me yell, hey babe, I'm sorry. She's like, what, what did you do? What's wrong? I'm just Sorry. Because I'm brushing my teeth or shaving or whatever, I'm just looking at myself going, she deserves better. She just, right? Like, I'm, I'm just sorry, babe. Like, there's a bit of, sh don't, you don't have to, people are like, oh, I brought it on myself. Donuts. Not blame shifting here, but thank you for your sympathy. Everything's going amazing. Every day the Bible says that they commune with the creator of all this beauty. In the midst of the cool of the day, Genesis says, doesn't it just sound nicer in the presence of God in the cool of the day, walking and talking with them? 
everything's going amazing. You've got a real live petting zoo and you got to name all the animals and there's no fences and there's no food chain and they're not mad at you and there's no danger. You just get to play and all of this. And then all of a sudden, here we go, like any good fairy tale. Dim the lights and cue the music. Dun, 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 dun. And now all of a sudden, one of the snakes starts talking, right? And we got a problem. And this is where we pick up Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. Title of the message this weekend is The Anatomy of a Fall. We're going to do a little reverse engineering, okay? Where are my mind students at? You're like, yes, let's do it. Come on, come on. (laughs) I heard a message once, and it was really intriguing to me. It caught my attention. I hope this catches yours as well. And the, the pastor titled it this, How to Have an Affair. And that's what he was doing. He was reverse engineering. He's saying, hey, if you want to have an affair, do this. So we're going to look at what happened in Genesis 3, and I'm just going to simply show you what the Bible says. Hey, if you want to go from a fairy tale in your relationships, particularly marriage, because it is the chief human relationship, to a fall, then do these things that we're about to read. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more craftier than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. We already have to stop right there. Marriage tip number one. Those of you who aren't married yet, don't check out. You should be taking more notes than anyone because 99% of everyone in this church is eventually someday going to be married. Can I get an amen, single people? All right, here we go. Step number one, if you want your marriage to go from a fairy tale to a fall, just do this. Don't take your adversary seriously. You want to go from a fairy tale relationship to a fall, don't take your adversary seriously. Seriously, because Adam and Eve in this moment, they absolutely didn't. Listen to what Jesus says about the devil. The Bible calls him Satan, the devil, your enemy, a thief, a coward, a liar, a a lion. Let's read. The thief, Jesus said. This is Jesus, his authority, not mine. The thief comes only to what? Still kill, kill and destroy. He says, but I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. The single most significant Relationship on planet earth, human relationship is the institution of marriage. And the enemy of your soul knows this more than you does do. So what makes you think that he doesn't every day you take your head off your pillow want to absolutely kill from your relationship and steal from your relationship and destroy your relationship? John 8, 44, Jesus says some, some powerful words about the enemy. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. It says, when he lies, he speaks of his own character. For he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. And we're about to watch a fall take place because of his lies. First Peter 5.8 says this. It says, Red Rocks Church, listen to the plea in this. It says, be sober minded. It says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's serious language. That's why in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this. This isn't, this isn't pre-Jesus on the cross. This is post-Jesus. This is, this is under the new covenant with grace. And listen to how much of a fight we're still in, even though we've been covered by grace. Listen to this. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground against the devil's schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You know what he's saying there? The person sitting next to you is not your enemy. You think they are sometimes. You may have had an awesome knockdown drag out on the way here, but they are not your enemy. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, the real war is against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's one thing you want to do 
to make sure that your relationships take a big fall, just do this. Wake up every day and don't take spirituality serious. Don't take the spiritual world serious. Don't take things like prayer and reading the word of God seriously because if you continue to read Ephesians, Paul says the way that we get victory over the schemes of the devil is we use the Bible as the sword of the spirit, the word of God, right? It's a sword, it's a weapon. We use our faith as a shield and the Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. We don't read the Bible to impress God. It doesn't work. We don't come to church and listen to the word of God to check it off the list so that God's happy with us so maybe we get into heaven. He could care less about the quality of your attendance. He wants your heart when you come here to hear the word of God and respond. That's what we're called to do. If you want a fairy tale to become a fall, don't take things like prayer as a couple. And don't take things like the reading of God consistently. Don't take things like the rendering of God's word corporately when we come to church. Don't take those things seriously. And eventually it is just, I promise you, a matter of time before a fall takes place in your relationship. Let's pick back up in verse one. It goes on to say, here's what the serpent first said to the woman. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And can I just point out for those of you newer to this story, and remind those of you who have heard this story longer than I've been telling it, that God didn't say anything like that. God said there was one tree that they couldn't eat from. And what's the devil already doing? He's already stretching the truth. He's already making God out to be something that he's really not, right? God didn't say that. Let's read what God said. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took man, Eve wasn't created yet, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, now I want you to hear this. He says, you are free. Will everybody at every campus real quick say, you are free? free. Good job. Remember that. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you shall not. Everybody say, shall not. But you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's why. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Pretty crystal clear, right? Pretty cut and dry. All the trees are yours. Freedom, right? You're free to eat from any tree. Isn't it interesting? And here's where I want to stop for a minute and talk. Isn't it interesting that in the same sentence, God uses the word freedom and the phrase shall not? And I think... New Testament believers struggle with this concept because of the word grace. We misappropriate excuse me, what grace really is because we tend to associate freedom with all boundaries being thrown off, right? Can I tell you something that will change your life and that will change relationships for the good every time? In the kingdom of God, freedom and shall not are not mutually exclusive. In the kingdom of God, freedom... And don't do's actually work together. This is before sin entered the world. And God's already given them a boundary. He's already given them a command. He says, if you really want to walk in freedom, listen to me. All of this stuff is yours because I'm a good God and I'm a plentiful God and I'm a prosperous God. But listen to me, you have to stay away from this one tree because even if you touch it, you're going to die. Let's use, some, let's use some New Testament language for freedom. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom, right? I want you to notice that where the Spirit of the Lord is, is where you're really going to find freedom. This matters so much to your relationships. Because here's what happens is we tend to buy into this lie over time, especially as we become adults and get older, that freedom is where stuff is at. 
That real freedom is going to be when we don't have to abstain from anything in life. And if we see any big red shiny apple or any big red shiny anything, that it's just ours for the taking. But no, no, no. You want to know where true freedom is? It's where the spirit of the Lord is. You know what that means? It means true freedom has to do with who you have, not what you have. And it's so important you understand that because so often as marriages get older and older and older, we fight so hard. Come on, moms and dads, tell me we don't do this. We fight so hard to to just get more stuff, to accumulate more stuff, thinking that real freedom for us and our kids and our family is just the acquisition of more things, physical, material stuff. And no, 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 the the, the word of God makes it clear. Listen to me. Certain amounts of freedom aren't going to come with more stuff. Certain amounts of freedom sometimes are going to come from abstaining from stuff. Because God has your best interest in mind. So listen to me. Young people especially, listen to me. Anytime God says do not or you shall not, his only motive is to keep you safe and to keep you loved and to keep you holy and to keep you in fairy tale mode instead of in fall mode. But the problem is, is there's an enemy who likes to come against that and speak against that. So step number two is this. If you want a fairy tale relationship to quickly go to a fall, then just do this. Hang around the shall nots and hang around close. What is it in our human nature where we love to get as close to the fire as we can before we get burnt? What is it in my human nature, Chad Brugman's human nature, where I love to get as close to the cliff as I can and hope I don't fall off? Adam and Eve fell prey to the voice of the enemy and the temptation of that apple. Do you want to know why? Proximity. They had hundreds, possibly, we don't know, we're not told, possibly thousands of trees. And God said, they're all yours. And for some reason, they kept finding themselves around the one they weren't supposed to be around. Listen to me. A voice can only be so loud. And sometimes proximity just deals with loud voices in our lives, like getting away from something. The further you get away from something, the smaller the voice gets, right? The more you starve something, the quicker it dies, right? And that's what they don't do here is they they get as close to the tree as possible without touching it. And now they have to be in a conversation with the enemy of their souls who we read earlier is a liar, right? Let's read what it says. It says, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. So she calls him on his lie and then here's his rebuttal. He goes, come on and tell me if you've ever heard this voice when you're reading God's commands and it's butting heads with what you want to do. Tell me if you've ever heard this voice. Did God really say, come on, certainly you won't die. You ever do that with God's words and God's commands? You hear them and they sound archaic and they sound outdated and antiquated and they sound melodramatic and they seem out of touch with our culture and and they almost at times seem like god if you love me why would you make something so beautiful and then say abstain like surely god wouldn't do that would he that he knows what gets at us humans certainly you won't die the serpent said to the woman for god knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good from evil so here's here's what eve does When the woman saw, again, she couldn't have saw this if she wasn't close to it. She couldn't have saw this if she wasn't close to it. If she wasn't hanging around the shall not or anywhere near it, this wouldn't have been a problem. But because she chose and her and Adam chose to get as close to temptation as possible, to toy with holiness 
and to toy with God's commands, they're able to have it. So now she saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, is practical, women are practical, and pleasing to the eye, women have an appreciation for beauty, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, women like power. I just seen if you're awake, I'm just kidding. <laughs> women are awesome. She took some and she ate it. Now listen to how valiant Adam is here. Because remember, before Eve was ever created, who did God say to stay away from the... Who did he initially give the command to? Look at his awesome leadership here. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he said, don't you dare eat that, Eve, not on my watch. You're my wife, and I love you unconditionally, and I'm called to lay down my life for you, so you don't touch that thing, because that thing will destroy you, and we are a holy family, and we will choose this day who we will serve, and we will serve God, not in my house. And he picks the apple up, and he throws it away. Well, he couldn't have touched it, because he would have died, but he does something. He, like, shoots it with a gun or something <laughs> down, and he picks up Eve, and he carries her off and says, no way, you're my boo, man. You're not getting hurt. You're not getting killed. <laughs> he does nothing like that, Right? She eats it, and he just goes, <laughs> right? Awesome, man. Valiance from day one, right? I'm guilty, though. I, I joke, but I'm guilty. Listen, if you want a fairy tale in your marriage or your future marriage, single people, listen to me. Because, because everything doesn't just magically change once you finally get married. You don't just magically wake up one day and no longer have a lust problem because you got married. You don't wake up one day and magically have no more uh, problems with sin because now you're married and everything's fine and you're grown up now. and every No, no, no. What you do before you're married has everything to do with how you enter into marriage. Everything. And what I'm pleading with you is not to just stay away from the shell knots but kind of test the boundaries, see how close you can get. What, what the Word of God is showing us is, man, don't get near the shell knots. Because it's not an issue of what you deserve or what you're entitled to. It's an issue of keeping you safe. And it's an issue of holiness. And it's an issue of this, keeping God close in your life. And when you breach holiness, there's a wall between you and God. This isn't just Old Testament stuff. If I had time, I could make a strong case how sin, practical sin in the new covenant, still puts up a wall between us and God. That's what their sin did. They got kicked out of the best place in the world. And then all of a sudden, the tangible relationship with God was missing, right? So when I'm up here all passionate and I'm spitting and all this stuff, it's because we don't want to just kind of toy with sin and see what we're allowed and what we're not allowed to do under grace. We want to, when God says shall not or do not or I command you not to, we want to get as far away from that as possible. So the voice of the enemy doesn't have the power that he wants to have in our life. Right? I remember, I'll just tell you one thing in, in my world. Uh, I remember um, there's this really obscure, unknown preacher. His name's William. None of you would know him. Um, back in the day, he, he's old now. He's 96. His name's Billy Graham. And, uh, <laughs> and as he, back in the day, his, his ministry was just starting to blow up. And stadiums were starting to fill up. And there was starting to be this prominence. And he was starting to feel the weight of it. And he had three of his best friends in life. And this is why friends are such an integral part of godliness, picking the right ones, right? And they started to create some rules because they felt just the, the inertia of their ministry and what God was doing through it. And it was starting to be overwhelming and they were still young. And, and not every woman that showed up to those stadiums had the pure heart, right? And Billy knew it. And so one of the rules he made with his friends was from now on, we will never, any of the four of us, they made this like pack. None of us will ride in a car alone with a woman that's not our wife. 
None of us will be in a public place alone with a woman that's not our wife. When we take meetings, if we have to take a meeting with a lady privately, we will have the windows open or the door open in the office, and we'll have a secretary or administrative assistant right outside for accountability's sake. And you say that in 2016, even back then, and it sounds prudish and unnecessary and silly and childish, does it not a bit? And can I tell you, that was one of the greatest things as a young pastor I ever heard. And, 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 and Sean and I started to implement those rules here, which is I, I just, if I have to meet with women all the time, just know this, it's not going to be over coffee and we're not going to ride in the same car together. And it's going to be in an office with a window open and an admin or someone right outside. And, and gentlemen, I want you to hear this because pastors sometimes make themselves sound awesome from stage. Hear me when I say this, gentlemen. I am not telling you this story because I am awesome. I am telling you I'm implementing this in my ministry and my life because I'm not awesome. You understand that? It's because I'm human. And it's because if I, if I toy with fire, eventually I'm going to get burned. I'm gonna, I, I feel like I'm literally, I tell you this all the time, I'm a kid in a candy shop. When it comes to this church, when it comes to my family, we're not perfect, we're broken, we're flawed. I'll share more in this series. But listen to me, I feel like I'm literally so far on the spectrum of fairy tale living right now, but I'm this close to a fall if I don't take the holiness of God seriously. And gentlemen, that's our call in our homes is to be holy men of God. That's the call we have. And a lot of it just comes down to making some decisions to stay as far away from the shall nots as possible. I have to move on. After they ate the apple, after they partook in the shall not, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And here's what they did, because sin always causes us to do this with God. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, here's where we get step number three. If you want a fairy tale to go quickly to a fall. The man said, the woman you put here. <laughs> Double whammy, right? He's calling out God and he's calling out her in the same sentence. Let's see how well that goes. He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some, some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God looked over and said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> Literally, that's what she said. The serpent deceived me, she said, and I ate. Step number three, if you want a fairy tale to quickly become a fall in your marriage or your future marriage or in any relationship, even in friendship, if you want that to happen, just do this, blame shift. Blame shift. Put all of the burden and all the focus and all the attention of your mistakes on them. I am the king of this. In the 13 years I've been married, I am still a work in progress, but I've been making strides. And can I tell you, there's so much freedom in marriage when you quit trying to control your spouse and worry about your spouse and constantly think about your spouse and constantly bring up and rehash all the problems that you're... Remember when God said, Sean read the passage last week in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. How much better of relationships would we have if that was possible? 
See, here's what I want in my marriage, in my fleshly sense. I'll just be honest. I want judgment for Rachel when she offends me. And anytime I offend her, I want mercy for Chad. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the bend of the human heart? Come on, let's be honest. That's what it is. But, but we got to, in God's kingdom, we reverse that. And it's God, let me judge myself. In fact, you can go back and read this in 2 Corinthians 9. It's the communion passage. Paul says, if we would just judge ourselves, then we wouldn't have to be judged by God or other people. If we would just be unafraid to look deeply into the mirror and see some of the worst parts of us and own it and allow God to consecrate it and allow God to sanctify it and to call it what it is, to call sin, sin, and to confess it repeatedly and confess it to your friends so that they can hold you accountable that you know the worst of you. If we, if we would let the fact that Jesus has eternally covered us and that you are good with him and then on your worst day, he absolutely, totally loves you. If you really knew that he covered you, couldn't we be honest about the worst parts of us instead of having to hide it by highlighting the worst parts of everybody else around us? And nothing is more damaging to a relationship when you constantly do that with your spouse. And yet our human hearts are so inclined to boldly point out all of the missteps and problems and sin patterns and idiosyncrasies of our spouse while at the same time plead mercy over ours. And, and I'll just start with the gentleman because we're called the lead gentleman. Don't be that way. Own your stuff. Don't blame shift. Don't look at God. Say you and, and her. And, no, 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 no. You'll take what could be a fairy tale like relationship, a beautiful earthly relationship in the midst of all its problems, and it'll quickly become a fall. So here's what happens, and I end with this. This is so important. I end with this. Here's what happens God looks at him after all the blame shifting, and he does, and I want you to hear this because you won't think this initially, but it's true. He does what a good God would do after sin. He hands them consequences. We typically don't associate consequences with good, right? Can I tell you, the last two things God does after they sin are the two most fundamental things to restoration and redemption. The first thing he does is give consequences to them, and then the last thing he does is covers them. And in the kingdom of God, it's not one or the other. Listen to me, young people who have taken this message of grace and watered it down and cheapened it by saying that because Jesus fulfilled all of the law that shall nots and don't do's don't matter anymore. Will you listen to me? They completely matter. They completely matter. And one of the greatest ways to develop a conviction of holiness before your God is to sit under the weight of consequences so that it creates a stench in the nostrils so that every time you get close to committing that act again, there's a stench there that you say, no way, that costs too much. That costs my family too much. That costs me too much. That costs God too much. There's no way I want to go there again. See, there's beauty in consequences. That's why we do it to our kids, parents, right? It's the, it's, it's, it's the second greatest accountability partner towards holiness and towards developing a conviction of holiness that you will ever have. And the first one is this. Band, you guys can come up, and I end with this. The first and greatest thing that we have been given to develop a conviction of holiness is the fact that in the garden, God covered them. It was the last thing he did. It was this first and most beautiful act foreshadowing what Jesus would eventually come and do for all of us that we just celebrated so great last week. Because let's sit under the weight of what happens in the garden. You know what God does? 
for the first time in human history, while Adam and Eve are sitting there, sitting under the weight of the consequences they just gave, he walks over to show them. He's he's saying, listen, I'm a good father, so I'm going to give you consequences. But he says, listen to me. Watch what I'm about to do next. And he walks over to an animal. We don't know what kind it was. And he literally, for the first time in history, takes a living, breathing, innocent being that he created and that he loves, and he rips it till it breathes, breathes at last, till it bleeds out, till that animal's eyes finally shut. And I can imagine Adam and Eve, what, what if it was an animal that they had gotten so much joy? What if it was like, like they were all pets back then, all the animals were pets back then. What if it was one of those animals that were like, no, 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 not boo-boo, not boo-boo, right? But God's like, no, no, something innocent has to bleed and has to die so that I can give you a covering. They were full of shame. They were full of guilt. Some of you, you walk in at any one of our campuses and that's you right now. That care, you're full of shame on the inside because of relational dysfunction and decisions. And God says, listen, consequences are going to happen. You can't stop them. It's a spiritual law. Man reaps what he sows, right? So we don't even think about consequences now, but here's what God wants you to know. You can be in the midst of shame and guilt and condemnation and insecurity and despair and depression because of the decisions you've made or somebody's made that affected you. And I just want you to know, God says, that I'm going to cover it. I'm going to cover that shame. I'm going to cover that guilt. I'm going to cover that insecurity. But I'm going to have to do this because of sin, because we breached holiness. I'm going to have to take it from an innocent life. Someone's got to bleed. So Adam and Eve watched that animal bleed out. And God, however he did it, started to make some real clothes, some sturdy clothes that would really cover their shame. They tried to make some themselves. We do that. It's called religion. They tried to do that themselves. And God says, no, no, no. I'm making your clothes. I'm covering you. I'm in charge of that. And what he was doing in the garden for the first time was preparing us to be ready for Jesus. Because it was ultimately Jesus for you and I that bled out and that got his skin and his hide ripped off to cover us. He at one point breathed his last and the message is this, why did God do it? Sean said it for 45 straight minutes last week. Love. I don't care what you walked in here with at any one of our campuses, no matter what kind of relational dysfunction that you are currently experiencing or have experienced in the past, you need to leave with this good news. You are loved unconditionally. Best day, worst day, you are covered. Don't buy into the devil's lie that consequences are a reaction from God and that he does not love you and those consequences are proof. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God's consequences are to bring redemption and accountability back to you, not to show you or to punish you. Enemy's a punisher. God's not a punisher. He punishes innocent people on your behalf. That's what he does. Consequences aren't a punishment. They're not an indictment. They're a gift. If you're sitting in some of those right now and they're painful, don't let the enemy. I know he's doing this to, to, to so many people in our church right now. Because you're sitting in the consequences of your stakes, the enemy's coming and trying to tell you that you're less than something. And God says, no, no, no. Look at my son on the cross. All that was done to show you how important you are to me. You are loved, Red Rocks Church. And you will never walk with an excitement for holiness. And you will never start to be like, hey, I'm actually excited to stay far away from the shell knots. And I'm actually excited to quit blame shifting. It feels kind of free to get away from everyone else's problems and look at mine and not be worried about it. If that's you, listen to me. You can do that because you're loved by God. 
Nothing else. You're covered. He's covered you because he loves you. So I want to do this at all campuses with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to ask you this. If, if you qualify in any one of these three categories, the first one is this. You can say, hey, me and my, my spouse or me and my, my boyfriend or girlfriend or my fiance, if we're being honest, we don't take this spiritual thing that serious right now. And we haven't woken up every day and realized that we have an adversary who wants to destroy us. Or maybe you're in the second group and you say, you know what? I'm the person that has been playing way too close to the shall not tree. And today it stops right here. I consecrate my heart back to God and I repent and I cry out to God for help. Or maybe you're the third person and your relationship has just been this endless cycle of back and forth blame shift and you're ready to own that and you're ready to repent first to God this weekend and then look at your spouse or your better half and repent to them as well. If you qualify in any of these three categories, and my hands up with your guys, would you just raise your hand because we want to pray together. This is just a statement of faith to God that we're holding each other as the body of Christ accountable. Now, God, I pray at all of our campuses in these next few minutes as we begin to worship you by song that this would be a time of consecration. Like I said at the beginning of the year, consecration always precedes victory. If we're going to have healthy relationships, God, then we have to constantly come back and consecrate our hearts to yours. And so I pray for everyone that raised their hand and who's struggling in any one of these categories that this time of worship would be a beautiful time this weekend of repentance and wholeness and rest and, and, and health, God, and righteousness. God, I just pray as we begin to worship you at all of our camps that you be so pleased with what's coming out of our mouths, God, because of what's happening in our hearts. And it's in your awesome, saving name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would everybody stand and let's worship.